give a bit of a background, I want to introduce myself. So, my name is Carmen, um, for those of you who don't know me, and I'm the founder of Another Startup Story. My background is actually in finance, so I'm actually a qualified accountant, and I used to work in a creative agency as the financial controller. And whilst working there, I, I saw the first-hand problem in that a lot of the creatives lacked um, in the business acumen side, and they... They actually struggled in terms of setting rates and, and there was a big divide between the creative world and, and the business world, which is kind of why another startup story uh, was born. It was very much to bring the two worlds together because you know we live in this millennial age and so many people are starting new businesses and wanting to pursue their passions, um, but may not have the business background behind it to actually um, to start a business. And so... That's kind of how the idea came about, um, and I am now business coach coach for creative creatives at early stage startups. Um, and so, we've got a really exciting panel um, today. Round of applause to um, our panel, please. <laughs> so just to give us a bit of a background, um, we've got Dan, who is the creative director and lead of Media Collective London, and he's from London originally, yeah? Um, and so Dan, often in his talks, talks about the fear of failure, um, and, you know, no, where, no matter where you are, whether you're starting a business, or whether you're starting a new job, or whether you're changing careers, I think we all face this fear of failure, fear of the unknown, or fear, fear of even success, and how to handle that. And um, he always talks about how creatives learning that failure is not just an option and it's really key to his leadership um, he's also created and directed many tv shows um, and so he's a natural in front of the camera <laughs> and um, he's also the platform pastor at hillsome london which is one of the most progressive churches in the world today um, and second up we have nadia anya who is a fashion blogger influencer and youtube creator uh, she is from hampshire and um, she's launched her own Pretty Lavish collection. Some would say she's quite popular on Instagram. <laughs> and um, yeah, she'll be sharing some insights on how to grow your social media and your personal brand today. And next up, we have Esther, who is the founder of Fabric for Freedom. So she is a northerner. And she has eight years of experience in the fashion industry, uh, where she was working for Vivian Rusford prior. And um, she saw this problem in the industry of fast fashion um, and decided to provide a solution by designing her own sustainable um, and authentic fashion wear brand. So, yeah. Right, so before we actually, before we start the session today, um, I just want to give a run through of how it's going to run. We'll spend one hour uh, driving into these guys' stories, and then we will have an extra half an hour where we'll be opening it up to the floor where you guys will be able to ask questions. Um, so please save any questions that you have um, for the end of the night. And then afterwards, please feel free to stick around, grab a drink, come and say hi to us. Um, but before we start, you guys all have um, a piece of card in front of you. If you don't, there should be some at the back, and if not, pass one along. Um, what I want to do as a little icebreaker is I want you all to look at the person next to you or pair up with someone 
and I want you to write something complimentary about the other person. <laughs> but on the test, so you have to turn around, you, you have to write something complimentary, whether that's like their style, their vibe, their hair, whatever. But you can't look at you have to swap it, and then you can't look at it until you get home. Okay? <laughs> Alright, no peeking. So I'll give you five minutes to do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, on the other side. No peeking. Yeah, yeah, so if you do it on the back on the blank side, um, and then obviously on the front, there's a question. Feel free to fill it in, tag us, take pictures of it. Um, but yeah, no peeking. Does anyone mind passing a few more dance on the front? So we can get... Some of, our, some of our speakers as well. <laughs> Has everyone got a piece of paper? Essays, it looks like some of you guys are really <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, one word is fine. <laughs> <laughs> discussion I just kind of wanted to set the scene um, and give a bit of an introduction um, so the problem um, 
So generally in any creative startup, you, as mentioned before, there's normally the creative side and then you also have the business side. And the two don't normally meet. They're too often seen as very mutually exclusive. Um, and the truth is you do need to understand how a creative idea uh, makes money. Ultimately, you can have passion, but if you don't understand the business acumen behind it, then it will only get you very far. Um, and most people, a lot of people have great ideas, but never end up actually planning that out, planning that out because they don't take execution, um, because they don't know where to start. And so our mission here really at Another Startup Story is really to bring together the resources and the inspiration to inspire people to um, start up and to grow their own businesses and to realize that their great ideas can become a reality and you just need to start. Um, and one thing that I very much found in common uh, from, so most of you will have seen another startup story, we interview a lot of founders of creative startups and influencers um, and artists. And one thing that I really found in common amongst all of these you know, thought leaders and high achievers is their ability to push themselves out of their comfort zones. Because at the end of the day, that's when growth is going to happen. Um, and it's really about developing that grit and resilience um, and that mentality that you need. And there's something that all three of these guys sitting here today, like they would have started from day one. You know, they wouldn't have had their, um, their success and doing what they love and following their passion. It wouldn't have come easily. They all would have struggled and gone through failures and gone through um, troubles. So it's definitely something that I want to be able to share with you guys today. Um, and not to get too economical, but this is the best way to describe it is via this graph. So assume that you have time on the x-axis and you have success or, uh, or fame or money on the y. That flat lining path is generally the most important area or time when you actually need to be studying how these people have developed their own businesses. So if you think about the iPod, that came out in 2000 and 2001. They didn't actually set off until 2004, so four years later, after the fourth model did it actually um, kick off. And so what I, what I think is, you know, in the media, so often you see the glamorized part, you just see the highlights and the rails, and you think that these people just built these overnight businesses um, within days, but actually it's taken years, like weeks, months, and years, and so that flat, flat lining path is what I'm really interested in, and that's like the painful and confronting stage where grit and resilience is actually built, um, and that is where the real gold of the story is. So, the work you do while you procrastinate is probably the work you should be doing for the rest of your life, um, and I think no matter what you're doing right now, whether you're thinking of starting a business or whether you're, you've just started a new job or you're looking to move industries, ultimately, adopting an entrepreneurial mindset is only going to get you further in life. And whether that means understanding the importance of hard work, understanding bottom lines, knowing how to do branding or marketing, it's all going to set you forward in life. And you don't need to be necessarily starting a business to be able to adopt an entrepreneurial mindset. Um, and so I think that's, and, and I know the panel today have a lot to, to share on that side. Um, so without 
further ado, we'll get started. And yeah. Okay, so do you guys just want to give a brief background about what you do and how you started doing what you do? Sure, my name's Dan, so good to see you here. And I just want to say I love this event, so um, well done for putting it on. I've been to a few different events, I guess, and um, this has got something unique about it, so well done to you, love it. Um, I head up the Media Collective, which is just a community of creatives as art directors, fashion designers, photographers, cinematographers, videographers, and it's just a place for them to hang and meet people, so there's no other agenda um, other than just a space for people like to meet other people in the industry. Sometimes it can be lonely, sometimes it can be competitive, so it's just a space for them to meet. And a lot of time they'll come for the content, like the panellists, because they want to hear, but what they realise is the, 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 the great content is just from the person they're sitting next to. And even tonight, you might be coming to see what we say, but I want to put it to you that there's probably some gold just within you guys. So even breaking out your comfort zone sometimes and introducing yourself to the person next to you, you'll just get ideas and stuff. So that's why I think these spaces are cool. Hi guys, um, so I am Nadia and I do Instagram and YouTube and I do like online content creation um, and I cover everything, beauty, lifestyle, fashion and all of that kind of thing. So um, yeah, <laughs> that's what I do. Hi, my name's Esther. So I started Fabric for Freedom, which is a sustainable women's wear clothing brand. So we aim to... Um, create a com company that benefits people and has limited impact on the environment as well as preventing climate change. Amazing. Um, so I guess my, my first question is, wh where did it all start? As in, I'm assuming most of you were doing some sort of nine to five job beforehand. Um, what made you get into doing what you were doing? So I was a buyer in the fashion industry for about, uh, well I've been in the fashion industry about eight years now. Um, so it was just seeing firsthand the issues within the industry. We all know with all these climate change protesters and everything that sustainability is a big thing this year. I first start, saw it about five years ago and that was only because I was a buyer working in it. Now as a buyer everything that you see in a store it's a buyer has put there. So I have taken it from sketch to production and put it into store. So that means that if there's an issue with the supply chain or there's any unethical behaviours, I know about it and I've probably caused that as well. So it was from my first job that I realised that just things weren't okay um, within the fashion industry. I was on the phone to suppliers and they were still at work at 3am in the morning because of the pressure I was putting them under to stay and fulfil my orders. I was the one that was negotiating $2 decreases on product knowing that I'm not going to suffer as a brand and the supplier probably isn't going to suffer as a supplier but it's the workforce that suffers because that's where you get unpaid overtime and bad working conditions and lack of health and safety and child labour. The pressures that the fashion industry put on people lead to 300,000 cotton farmers committing suicide each year and that's just the surface level of it. It goes so much deeper than that that I just really wanted to create a brand that did something positive. And um, when I say about like the exploitation of people, it also comes from people in the UK as well. So I've seen so many young girls and young boys come out of uni like to pursue their amazing career in fashion and get so badly treated and they're so um, discouraged, they re really badly treated and so their self-worth just, just goes 
so down and they don't believe in themselves and the lack of confidence purely because of what buyers and other people within the fashion industry are uh, treating them like. So it's the exploitation is not just in the developing world of the people that are um, creating our product, it's also from the UK and the what what the fashion industry does to people. So that's why I wanted to create a brand. I wanted to do business better. I wanted to create a brand that empowers and respects, um, also that gives a bit back. It's all about circular, the circular economy um, and also that limits the effect it has on the environment. So our clothes are all made in the UK so I can guarantee fair wages and good working conditions. I source my fabric, it's mixed recycled, organic and plant-based fabrics as well so I know that there's limited impact on the environment. And I really try and use my platform to make people aware of sustainability. It's not about making people feel guilty at all because like I said, I was a buyer, that's the only reason I knew. Um, it's just more using my platform to educate people about the way they're con the way that they consume has an impact on our world and if everyone does a little bit, it doesn't have to be the full works and we can all make a positive impact. Um, so my story is that I, since I was about four years old, I've always loved fashion. I remember being so young um, and I would dress myself. My mum would try and pull out outfits for me and I wouldn't listen, I'd make my own outfits. and. So I always knew I wanted to be in something to do with fashion or beauty, but I never quite knew how to do that. Um, and so then I went to uni and I studied uh, business and marketing. And I did the course and I'm, I don't regret doing it, but I never enjoyed it. Um, and then I graduated and I went straight into a sales job for about, I think I was, it was a year's job and I was there for about six months. And after six months, I, I realized I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I hated it. So whilst I was in that job, I was kind of doing Instagram and kind of, trying to build a following but um, I think I'd had about 20,000 uh, followers when I left and I got up and left my job and I got home and I realised like I either have to find another job or I have to make this work because I have nothing else um, and then yeah it just kind of worked I remember trying to find a job for about six months like continuously sending out my CV and trying to look for something but whilst I was doing that I was growing my platforms and it got to the point where I was doing fine doing social media so that was about a year and a half ago maybe two years and ever since then I've just been doing social media and then I started up my YouTube and yeah so that's how I got here. Very cool. Um, I was my job title is creative director and I lead a communications team of about 10 people um, and so we were chatting about ideas and campaigns that we were working on and um, I just felt like even though we had some great ideas, I just wanted to sort of step out a little bit. So called up a couple of mates, one worked for Adidas, one worked for Burberry, one worked for Saatchi and Saatchi, and I just got coffee. I said, um, you know, what are you looking at at the moment? What's the shop window for Christmas going to be like, et cetera, et cetera. And every person I caught up with, they're just like, oh, can we just hang again? I just want to, can we just go for a drink? Can we go for a beer? And uh, what I realized is everyone I kept catching up with, I was catching up so I could like get some wisdom from them in terms of like aesthetics, and they just wanted a mate. And um, what they were saying like, in the industry, a lot of their work colleagues, as much as they are friends with their work colleagues, they just wanted someone who was separate from work that they could just just have a, have a mate. So that's why I set up the Media Collective. It's just a space with, um, you know, people do network and they make friends, but the, re the reason we came up with it was just because um, we just noticed that that even though it's a very busy world, the creative world, it can still be lonely and busy at the same time. And I think that's probably why it is a bit lonely, because you're so busy just doing what you want to do, trying to be successful, that you don't actually spend any time thinking about who am I hanging out with or, you know, what am I doing to like, just socialise. So that's how that started. Yeah, yeah. 
amazing. So just falling back, obviously right at the beginning, each, you know, from when the idea was first planted in your head, how did you guys build up like a following or, and how did you market yourself? And what, what have been the struggles and, and the solutions that you've been through along that? Yeah, wicked. I just went um, totally uh, real personal when we did the first event, got the venue, it was just concrete space around the corner. And uh, so I just personally like called or text everybody. I don't know if you've ever got like a, a Facebook invite to a birthday party. Like, no one, you just don't go, do you? Like, if someone's going to invite you via Facebook, like, it just feels so impersonal that you're like, no, nah, this person doesn't even care about me. I'm not going to go to their party. So, um, so first of all, what I did was, like, I called everyone. So there was about 50 people that I wanted to invite. And then um, even now, so we'll create digital invites, um, which are gifts. So they can't go on social media. And we send them first as a, as a text saying, hey, mate, just so you know, we've got our next media collective night. Just want to know you invited before they've seen anything on social media. So the social media isn't like informing them of the event, the social media is just backing up what they already know they'd be personally invited to. So um, yeah, I would say even like um, WhatsApp, you know, pinging somebody in a WhatsApp group, hey, just so you know, this is happening. Again, it's a little bit impersonal. A guy called Albert Meribin did a study and he says when it comes to our communication, 5% of it is words, 45% of it is body language, and 50% of it is tonal voice. So I can say, um, hey Carmen, time's been great, thank you. Or I could say, hey Carmen, time's been great, thank you. I said the same thing in two different ways. One of them has body language and tone of voice. So if you just text, Facebook, email, and that's your invitation, you're just using the 5%. You know? And so it's no wonder people might not want to come, might not want to hang out with you because they're missing the tone of voice and the body language. So yeah, my advice, if you're looking to build something, think about the people that you're looking to build with and think how you can make that invitation as personal as possible. So with my industry, I think it's the same. You have to be quite personal. Um, I feel like a lot of people fall, well, they say they fall into my job, whereas I always knew I wanted to do it. And so I made a plan and I made sure I got there. So I made a little plan at uni and I was posting every single day. I remember sitting in my bed at uni, writing my dissertation and having to get out of bed and put makeup on and put an outfit on and take a picture and just making sure I was consistent with what I was putting out so that I would reach my end goal. Um, and so yeah, I think, and then also being on Instagram, you have to really, like you have to have a USP of course, but I feel like in my industry, your USP is you. So just really being you and being honest and telling stories about you and just making your whole platform about your life while still engaging with your audience and relating to your audience and including them as well. So. Yeah, I think that was mine. It was just having a plan and making sure that I was just, yeah, being me. <laughs> um, so mine is a bit boring. Uh, it's all about research and networking, all the things that no one wants to do. <laughs> um, so I came up, I, it wasn't a light bulb moment where I had an idea. It was more that I saw a problem that I wanted to solve. And I didn't know about that problem, so I needed to research it. So actually from the first initial idea to launch was about five years and the reason why is I wanted to be certain starting a fashion brand is hard it takes a lot of money and it's really really difficult so if I was going to make this step I needed to be sure of myself and I needed to have the right expert expertise to do so as well so I, when I first started I was a buyer's admin assistant in a fast fashion brand and um, but I knew I every decision I made in my personal life and in my work life, I knew in the back of my mind it was going to one day set up my business. So as a buyer, I have a lot more contacts 
um, within the fashion industry than I did as a buying assistant. So it was just making sure that I reached the correct level within my career. So I wasn't working on it every day for five years, but I was preparing my future. I was getting the knowledge needed to do so, and I was just retaining everything, constantly making contacts so that when I did start up, it was quick. I had the contacts in place and I had the foundations to be able to do so. Yeah, I mean, when, just on the topic of social media, um, obviously we are in this influencer era right now, and um, the truth is, it's, it's definitely become a good way to market yourself, whether you're starting your personal brand or professional brand, um, but the barriers to entry are really, really low, which ultimately means, you know, it is saturated, um, and the creme rises to the top. What kind of tips can you give um, to really stand out? Um, and this is probably more of a question for you, Nadia, in terms of, you know, you would have started with one follower, right? You know, how did you build up so quickly? And, and how, how, do you, how would you say you can stand out from um, the saturated crowd that we live in today? <laughs> so I think that a lot of people think to stand out, you have to be something different. But I actually think the way that you stand out is by being yourself in a very saturated market. <laughs> as long as you're true to yourself, and for me especially, obviously there's trends and there's seasonal pieces and there's things that you can follow and there's things you can try and do as well as every other person. But I think as long as you... So like say the, like the whole cycling short trend, I love it, but it doesn't work for me. And if I was to start putting that trend on my Instagram, people would literally be like, what are you wearing? So I think it's just like staying true to yourself will then become your USP and it will make you stand out from everyone else. So I don't think it's much of like finding what makes you stand out. I think it's more of like believing in yourself and staying true to yourself. And yeah. That. Amazing. Um, and so when you guys were first starting out, uh, obviously you would have had doubts about whether, because you're stepping into the unknown essentially, right? you don't really know what you're going into um, until you really start it and then all of these things are going against you and it's not like you're doing it for the money, you're doing it for the money because at the beginning you don't even get paid as much and there's so many things going against you so the odds are, um, the truth is, why? What made you continue and persevere, and, and and to go against the kind of fear of doubt that so many entrepreneurs often get at the very early stages? One of my things is one of like when I was young, I kind of realised that I've always heard my parents and people older than me say that they regret this and they regret that and they regret not doing that and I never wanted to be the person that would sit with my children or my grandkids and say <coughs> I wish I'd done that. I want to be the person that says I've done it and whether it worked or whether it didn't work at least I will never live with that regret that I didn't do it. Yeah. So that realizing that from about the age of 14, 13 has really helped me in my life where it's just everything I want to do, whether I'm scared of it or not, I won't, I won't not do it because of fear. I'll just do it, and if it fails, it fails, but at least I've tried. Uh, yeah, very similar. Um, just not living in regret. So I'd rather do something and fail than watch someone else do what my idea was. Um, so definitely that's a driver. Also determination. Like, being self-employed is hard and you have massive highs and really low lows and it's just about making sure that you stay grounded and just being a bit in control um, so I would just say that hard work, positivity and passion are just the three things where I try and live by and if I'm having a bad day I just you just carry on you just have you just need to work hard because you determine your own future. Very wicked.
Um, yeah, I think um, you've got to know your why. I know Simon Sinek and the whole Golden Circle talked about it loads. You've probably heard about it. But I think your why probably needs to be more than just fame or fortune, just more than prominence and popularity. And so discovering what your why, that will probably be the driving force on the days when you don't want to get up. And then um, just facing the fear of failure. And um, there's some places in life where there's zero tolerance to fail. Like um, when I go on my annual holiday with my wife and my one-year-old boy, and we get our EasyJet flight to Costa del Sol. Um, I've got zero tolerance for that pilot failing, even though I paid £59 for the ticket. <laughs> zero tolerance to fail. And you know what? He doesn't ever fail. If, also, if my wife was ever going to have like, I don't know, a heart transplant, I would have zero tolerance for the doctor failing. The reason why the doctor and the pilot never fail is because they've had seven years at least of training. And over those seven years, they've tried and failed, tried and failed, tried and failed. They've had flight simulators and test bodies, and that's why they're so successful. It's funny because we do like another startup, we start a business or start a company, and we think we can't fail. But the reality is, you will fail. And that's part of the learning process. You try and you fail, you try and you fail. So in seven years' time, in a decade's time, you won't be failing nowhere near as much as you do when you start. But if you're starting something, you want to expect failure and you want to welcome it. Because failure is actually meant to teach you. It's part of the learning process. So good. And what kind of um, what kind of tips can you give around, like, even overcoming failure? I know a lot of people I've spoken to in the past have certain ways, like meditation or surrounding themselves with a really good community who are going to bring you forwards. Because, and that's a really interesting topic that I want to talk to you about. Um, I know, you know, Charlie, um, Dan, Dan's wife does amazing things outside of his remit, and she's looking to start her own business as well and and ultimately you're inspiring each other um and vice versa with nadia i think her partner's got his own business and can you guys shed some light on um community and surrounding yourself with the right people or the people is it is it so much about surrounding yourself with the people to support you or the people who are going to inspire you yeah i think you surround yourself with the people who are going to inspire you first and then when you know what you want to do then you find the right people who are going to support you and uh you know you need a mentor, uh, whether it's business, even if you wanted to be a cook and you wanted to grow in your chefing skills, like you can get mentors, um, but sometimes we think these mentors are just gonna drop out of the sky. Like you've gotta be proactive. You just gotta find the people and you just gotta say, hey, can I buy you a drink? Can I take you for dinner? And it might cost you something, but the wisdom that they'll share in that, in that moment is, might be the next thing that's actually gonna enable you to do what you wanna do. So sometimes we can be a little bit cautious about asking someone for a drink or a dinner about that, but some of the most successful people on the planet today have got there because they overcame the fear of man. So a lot of the fears that we have are just fear of people, fear of what people might say, fear of what more people might think, and that's why we don't say, can I buy you lunch? Can I, can I get you a coffee? And so, um, and that also is why we have a fear of failing, because we think if this event fails, like for you today, if you were, you know, when you're preparing, you could have, no one could have turned up, and uh, what else could have happened? Like, we could have all been terrible, and uh, not showed up, I don't know, like there would have been things, uh, hopefully we're not terrible, you know what I mean, but like, there could have been things, yeah. But in our mind, we just, fear sets in and you start assuming the worst. And, that, and that's how you know you've given way to fear, because you'll start assuming all the possibilities of what might go wrong. But the key is just not to focus on what can go wrong, but try and focus on what's going to go right. And when the wrong does happen, you just take it as it comes, and it's never as bad as what you're assuming is in your mind. So my first event that we had in Concrete Space, the minimum bar spend was 1,500. We had, I think it was about 120 people there, and they really liked tap water. <laughs> so um, they all came, I mean, it was a work night, they had their soft drinks, and 
a few people were getting on it, but it, was, it wasn't enough to hit the bar spend as much as I was trying to encourage people to grab a drink. And so I lost £500 that night out of my own pocket. And uh, so everybody left thinking it was success. I left feeling this is a failure. I've got to chat to my wife when I get home about, about how we're not going to the Costa del Sol this year. <laughs> but all I'm saying is I dealt with that and it's part of it. And I don't regret. In, in hindsight, that £500 was so worth it because of what's come from Media Collective now. So even the failures that come, you know, you work around it and it's part of, uh, part of growing, part of progressing. I think you win some and you lose some, don't you? And as a fa not to bring in graphs again, I like to see things very visually, but <laughs> I think the path to entrepreneurship or doing something of your own is very much the most volatile graph that you can get. You know, it's your choice if you want to live that life where it's very stable um, and kind of has very little fluctuation, then that's fine. But, you know, ultimately you do have really, really big lows, but then equally you have really big highs as well. And it's like, you have one life, why not take the big highs and the big lows and learn from it, right? Um, just on so just on the topic of um, almost surrounding yourself with the community. So Dan, you're um, also a platform pastor at Hillsong Church. Um, some a question I want to ask you is: I know before even thinking of starting a business, a lot of people think that it's super easy and you can kind of compartmentalize yourself, as in your personal life and your business life. But I think it's very much important to look at it from a holistic point of view. And you have to be coming from a good place personally. And that's, you know, holistically and looking at, are you, are you eating well? Are you, have you got good friends around you? Are you building deep relationships? Are you financially stable? Um, and you almost have to be in a good place uh, with yourself before you can give and even be in a space to be able to create and start a business or, or do anything um, out of the ordinary. And so my question for you is, what is the most common struggle you see amongst today's society? And how can we take better action to improve ourselves personally in order to create more space to be more creative and, and start something of our own? Yeah. Um, I think probably mental health is um, probably one of the biggest things facing society. And I know as soon as I say that, we think it's just a small portion of humanity, but it's actually quite a lot of us struggle with what's going on in our mind. And it could be depression or depressive thoughts, could be anxiety, could just be general worry. And, um, and I find a lot of the time, just in the busyness of life, like that what goes on in the mind is something that we actually don't know um, how to control. So I read a book called The Lost Connection by a guy called Johan Harry. And in it, he's, he's talking about anxiety, he's talking about stress, he's talking about worry. But he just says, he gives three things. He says, first of all, like do some exercise or go on a walk. Like get outside and don't take your phone. And the phone, if you think about it, you know, if you're one of those people that you go on your phone first thing when you wake up, you go on your phone when you go to bed, um, like you're, you're always on your phone, you're always attached and um, what you're doing is like you're really limiting your, your mind to imagine, eliminate, uh, eliminate, stopping your mind from actually just, just thinking, you know, when was the last time you got a bus and you just looked out the window at what was going around you or when was the time you just, you just started to dream? My, my boy, he's one, but he's going to be coming into the stages where he starts to imagine. And you know what kids like? There's no limit to what they imagine. But then, for some reason, he's going to stop imagining because we box them. We say, you've got to stop imagining now, and this is reality. But, you know, what if we just weren't limited in our imagination and we just kept allowing our imagination to be like, be, be, be like a child? And all that happens in the mind. So, Jan Harry said, get outside, walk outside. You'll find your imagination will just be revitalized. He said... Um, what else did he say? He said, yeah, don't spend all the time in the, in the concrete jungle in the city. He said, people have better mental health who live outside of the city than they do in the city. Just because, you know, when you walk down the, 
the escalators and in the, the tube, and you're not in a hurry, but everyone's running, so you just start running as well. Anyone ever done that? You just, you just, everyone just, you just go with everybody. You just, you know, the busyness of the world. That's like that's such a good metaphor for what life is like. You just, you just in this bubble with everyone working at such a fast pace that you just go with it. You stop to think, to just to breathe. And he said the third thing, he said, do something for someone else. And I love that you start this thing by saying, write something kind about someone. And for some of you, that might have sounded really weird to, to, to write something. But what I found is like, when you write a courageous thought, when you write something encouraging, you're actually giving someone courage. And you don't know how much that's going to help them in there tomorrow. And so Johan Harry said, when you actually help someone, it doesn't matter who it is, help the homeless person, help someone at work. And you, what you do, you, you stop thinking about self. And when you think about self, that's when all the anxiety and the stress and the worry is. In that one moment of helping someone else, you're free from everything that's going up here. And in serving someone else, you start all these um, dolphins and whatever, the science stuff, gets all released and you start feeling joyful and happy and encouraged. And so I would say mental health would be one of the big things. And we all have different levels of problems in our mind. But like, get outside, do a bit of exercise, get off your phone and just see if you can help someone. And you watch how it might start shaping a bit of the stuff that happens in your mind. Sorry, it's a bit Dr. Phil that. <laughs> yeah, I guess with you ladies, like when you guys are having a bad day, I mean, we all have those days where we just don't want to um, get out of the house, we just want to stay in bed. What, what do you do to get yourself back on track? Um, yeah, it's getting outside. The moment I'm in like the four walls, I'm a northerner, so I'm a country girl, so I need to just be outside in fields. It sounds really weird. But um, I just need open space. Um, because you just get so cooped up with daily life. Sometimes you just need to be a bit more free of that. And exercise is a big one um, as well. So it's, it's literally everything that Dan has said. Yeah, I'm the same. I do everything that you've said. But also I have um, a five-minute journal. So when I wake up in the morning, I'll write three things that I'm looking forward to or three things that I'm really, really grateful for. And then at the end of the day, I'll write three things that went well that day. And it could be as simple as, like, I, I ate a carrot. Like, it could be anything, but as long as it's something that you feel positive about. Like, I was healthy today, that's one of my things. Like, as long as I feel that I've achieved something, I'll write it down. And it sounds silly, but as, when you get into the rhythm of doing it, and it's just literally three sentences a night, three sentences a morning, it really, really helps change your mindset. Um, so, yeah, that's everything you do and that. Yeah, I think... I was speaking to a friend of mine last night and just saying journaling has like completely yeah. changed my life and Belinda actually she's in the audience she introduced me to journaling and I've been doing it for about three years now and it's, it's honestly changed my life and you know sometimes before going into work and if I've got something in the back of my mind and the truth is you I think there's like 90,000 thoughts that go through your head per day. 90,000 and half of the stuff is in your unconscious and this is why people do all these retreats and do yoga retreats to, to really take the time out to be still um, and dig into their unconscious and the truth is when you journal you get these thoughts out onto paper and you go into the day without that kind of messing around in your head and and going and, and that's what stresses you up and eats you alive because it's like all these thoughts are in your head but I think yeah if you don't journal start now <laughs> um Okay, so just throughout your, your journeys, what would you say has been the biggest challenge uh, for each and every one of you and how, how have you overcome that and turn it into a learning? I think mine has been self-doubt and that never really was at the start of my journey. I always was very fearless and went into things 100%. And then I think over the, maybe like six months ago, I just hit this bit in my mind where I was just doubting myself and I was comparing myself. And I think it's so unhealthy because... Well, now I've got over it. I kind of sat down and 
figure out why I was feeling like this rather than just let it manifest. So I tried to get to the root of the problem. And now I just changed my mindset rather than look at other people and think, why am I not doing that? I think, oh my God, amazing for them. How can I make myself better and try and get to that place? So I think self-doubt was a huge thing. And then I now have, I was telling my sister about this metaphor earlier and she was laughing at me, but I think I have this, when I get this feeling of self-doubt, I imagine a horse with blinkers on. And I just think of like me as that and just have blinkers on and just focus on your own path. And as soon as you can get your head around, it's just your path and no one else's. Like it does, nothing else matters. So yeah, that's my little, my little thing. What was it? Sorry, what was the exact wording of the question? I forgot. Um, what kind of what has been the biggest challenge for you along your journey? Yeah, in general, I think for you. So I know you quite personally, Esther, and I, I remember when you, you know, from the very moment or when you first were writing your business plan and the journey you've been through has just been incredible, and seeing you grow has just been really inspiring. And so I guess maybe you can tell the audience a bit more about your journey to when you were still working at Vivian Westwood and before you actually made that jump um, into fully being self-employed and how, what kind of feelings you were going through and, and when did you know you were ready to make the jump? Yeah, okay, so um, as I said before, it was about five years, so I was juggling it with having a full-time job, which is really difficult. I was working every evening, every weekend, um, which is hard. Um, and there was like about a period of a year where I had to cut down a bit on my social life and just prioritise my business. Um, but as well with that, I spoke about it a bit before, like working in the fashion industry, you are subject to um, sometimes nasty, horrible environments. And I remember in one particular job when I was trying to set up my own business, I was um, being really, really badly treated by my manager. And it, it started off where I would go into work having a bit of panic attacks because I didn't know what she was, what she had in store for me that day, and then go home crying. And all that was in me was like, I just want to stop, start my own business, and I don't have to be in this environment anymore. But actually learning to just be patient with it and stick it out and be strong and no matter what your circumstances are, just focusing on the end goal was the biggest thing that I learned because if I had rushed into it, I wouldn't have learned the things that I had um, in order for me to set up my own business. So that one definitely was. Um, and then from a self-employment perspective, so once I took the jumps, I would say the biggest challenge is you go from having a full-time job, I'm, I'm mental, I can't even watch television without fidgeting or like doing something else or making something like, and just actually trying to just stop and relax and switch off, that was the hardest thing for me. I'm always go, go, go in my mind. And I go from that kind of work where it's all busy, I'm going from one supplier appointment to another, to being on my own all day and I just hate it <laughs> so it's, that's why media collective and things like that are so good because when you freelance and when you're self-employed you are on your own a lot of the time and it is looking after your mental health and making sure oh what can I do to actually get myself out there and work with other people collaborate with other people share offices with other people and really look after yourself biggest thing I learned was it the biggest challenge biggest you've challenge faced along your journey. Um, so every Sunday, I'll be speaking to about anywhere between 500 and 8,000 people because 
we meet up to be in the theatre around the corner and we have four services on a Sunday. So my biggest fear has always been the fear of public speaking, <laughs> which is crazy, right, because of what I do. Um, so r really, like, when I first got asked to speak in front of 200 people and I was absolutely bricking it, uh, like, I could see my heart go through my chest and everything, I just made a decision that I wasn't going to say no. And uh, my whole life, ever since, I've been speaking now since I was about 18, 21, I'm 33 now, and so... You know, even I had to do a wedding on the weekend in Morocco, and I hate doing weddings. There's so much pressure on doing a flipping wedding. And I wanted to say no, but they're my good friends, and I thought, if I do say no, what I'm saying is, fear, you, you win. So I just made a decision, no matter what I'm asked to do, if I'm scared of it, I'm just going to say, yeah, I do it. And when you do it, it's never as bad as, again, what you imagine in your mind. So my biggest challenge was public speaking, but I feel like I'm winning at the moment. I feel like we should have got your little video clip up. <laughs> the one of you, you know, the little. Okay, no. Go find it. Me stacking it. Yeah. Yeah, that's so mean of you. So there was a there was a guitar. I was speaking in Copenhagen, and there was a guitar amp. And uh, I'm talking, and I'm trying to be funny, and I'm walking backwards, and I fully stack it in front of all these people on my ass. Um, and the guy got the video uh, of me falling, falling over and changed it into a music video, and it kind of went viral, really viral amongst yeah. our friends. It was like those gifts where he was like falling again yeah. and again. But I think again, that's, such, that's such a great, uh, great thing. So I was embarrassed. But I, the moment the embarrassment left was when I stopped caring what other people thought. And I just yeah. owned the moment. So yeah. even if you do fail, you just own the moment and stop caring. Yeah, absolutely. And um, what would you say is the one skill that you need to get you further in life? And why? I, well, I mentioned it earlier. Um, I think that hard work... Can I say three? Yes, yeah. Hard work... Positivity and p passion trumps all qualifications. If I have a, if I'm employing um, a buyer's assistant or whatever, um, or whoever, sorry, um, their attitude says more to me than their qualification. And with the right attitude, you can go a long way. Because um, again, you're responsible for your own development. And if you've got someone who's really willing to learn and just humble about it and wants to be taught, um, I think that that shows more than any university qualification. I agree with everything you said, and just obviously like self-belief. As long as long as you believe in yourself, then other people will read that and agree with that, and yeah, just have self-belief. I reckon just always remain a beginner. Uh, as soon as you're a professional, you like you stop learning. You like because you know it all. But beginners always have this edge because they're like sponges, always absorbing. So I think no matter how long you're in, what you're in, just always have the mindset of a beginner. That way you're always going to be absorbing. That's why you're always going to be innovating, always going to be creating, and then there's no limit to what you know you can go on to do. Yeah. Good answers. And have you guys heard any? What would you say? Have there been any bad recommendations in your area of expertise? Um, so like for example you Dan is there something that you always hear in the industry which you know that that is definitely not right I think so like people say oh if something's not right go and tell your boss as in like go and complain about how you're not like you know you haven't got enough resources to create what you want to do you haven't got enough time just you know complain but Simon Sinek who wrote the book Why he talks about artificial restraint and he gives his staff restraint he boxes them on purpose because he knows it's when we're limited when we really come out with these amazing cre creative ideas because because you know the only way out of it is to create 
And so, so I've, I never go to my boss asking him for more time, asking him for more money, asking for more resource. I just look at my limitations and instead of complaining about them, I say, well, that's, that's a great opportunity for me to come up with something new. So, you know, you might, you might hate your situation at the moment, you might not think it's fair, but I'll, I'll encourage you, like, look at it and see what you could do differently with it and maybe you can come up with a new cre creative idea within that. So I think in my industry, it's everyone's always telling you to be different and to stand out and to make sure that you stand out against the crowd. But I think then people then go and look to find how they can be different. But I've already touched on the fact that I think if you're just being yourself, then you're going to stand out in a, ma in a market full of everyone else doing their own thing as well. So, yeah, it's just, I've already said it loads of times, but being yourself. Um, I would say mine is, um, I've touched on it before and without being too depressing about fashion, um, it's hearing the phrase, that's the nature of buying or that's the nature of fashion. So when people are really mistreated, we're underpaid, working really bad hours, um, the answer to it is, that's the nature of fashion. And that's why I wanted to start my company, Fabric for Freedom, because what if we changed the nature of fashion to actually be something positive and good for people rather than have this negative impact? Yeah, I agree. So, can we talk about the topic of time? Um, because I know this is something that everyone struggles with, you know, trying to find time to be creative, but then to do the actual work itself and the deep work and also to eat healthy and to drink enough water, to see your friends, exercise, whatever, you know, time is constantly everyone's challenge and struggle. What kind of um, tools and tips can you guys give for managing your time and making sure you're doing stuff which, which is productive and, and going towards what you're trying to achieve in the long run? Yeah, okay. Um, so as an entrepreneur, you have a million things to do. You've got to wear so many different hats and be every department. So what I've really learned is focusing on one thing. I've got so much to do that I try and do a little bit of that, a little bit of that, a little bit of that, and, it just, and you end up just wasting your time. Focus on one thing, do one thing really well and excellent, then move on to the second thing. I'd rather do that one thing amazing um, than have loads of little unfinished bits. And that's to do with like expanding my brand as well. Like There's so many areas that I want to explore and do and so many products that I want to include but actually I'd rather get that one thing focused and that one thing done correctly before I move on to the next things. So I'm a list maker, I make hundreds and hundreds of lists and I read a book, I think it's called Get Your Shit Together, have you heard of that? It's really good and she said to write a list of course but then to take that list and write another list and prioritise what needs done that day and so it sounds so simple but when I started implementing that into my life all these lists then made sense rather than have 10 things that I kind of got through. I made sure that today, okay, I need to get this and this and this done and then tomorrow I can start on this and this and this. So, yeah, I think it's just list making and seeing it visually for me. It helps me get through in time management. Awesome, that's very good. Um, yeah, I, for me, I'll just be honest where I'm at. I'm not so much about managing my time. I'm more about managing my enemy. Uh, enemy my energy. Because um, <laughs> 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 yeah, if I, um, say I manage my time really well, so I've got my work hours and then I get home, I've got my family hours. Say I might manage all my hours well, but I've got loads of energy for work, but no energy for my son. To me, that's, that's wrong. You know, I want to have energy for my son. So for me, I've had to look at my time, but look at what re-energizes me. So I might go to work, but then I might go to the gym. Because for me, gym re-energizes me. It gives me energy, perks me up. So that means when I see my family, I'm like full of energy, full of joy. So also think about your time, but think about, you know, where do you get your energy from? And maybe 
looking at scheduling your time with those things that are actually going to energise you so you're not depleted when you want to be energised. Yeah. It's just about not spreading yourself too thinly because we've all been there before when you know you see someone and you feel like you can't fully give yourself. But yeah, really good answers. Um, so a couple more questions before we open it up to the audience. Um, so Nadia, you mentioned that book. Um, what, what would you say is your, your favourite book and why? Um, okay, so everyone probably knows the book, but it's called The Secret by Rhonda, Rhonda Brines, is that her name? Um, about the law of attraction and just, it's kind of like about like the, the voice in your head. And if you start believing everything that you want, then you'll start then taking actions to do that. And I think it sounds like, if you don't read it and you don't believe in the law of attraction, it just sounds like, oh, okay, yeah, well, everyone knows that. But I think actually when you put it into practice, it's crazy how much it really does affect your life. So, yeah, the secret. Um, mine is, I'm only halfway through, so I don't know. Hopefully I'll carry on being my best book. But it's the 5am club. I don't know whether anyone's heard of it. I haven't got to the bit where you get up at 5 a.m. <laughs> but it's basically about, it's an entrepreneurial book, but it, you can apply it to your life if you're not an entrepreneur. And it's just about making sure that you, cre you create your mornings to make you have a winning day. So it's all about like looking at your mindset, your beliefs, the way that you look and value yourself, um, but also about having excellent behavior and living for others. Um, and it's about like meditating on those facts as well. So just spending those time in the morning to set your mind straight so that you can have a much more productive day um, and a lot more efficient. And what's so good about it is it's based on this guy who's like um, a billionaire and he has a mentor like Dan mentioned earlier. And there's some really good practices in there um, actually. And they have like really inspirational quotes um, all the way through the book. So it's really good. Um, I was quite inspired by a book called Creativity Inc. by Ed Cutmore. He's the CEO of Pixar. I was just thinking about it today because I walked past and saw the Toy Story 4 um, movie uh, advert. And, uh, and really, if you look at um, this book, it's loads of different stories about the, just the culture of, of Pixar. I'll just give you one example. They did Toy Story 1, and it was a blockbuster, so Disney said, can you do Toy Story 2 for DVD release? And the staff started working on it for a DVD release. And then as they're working on it, they just said, look, like, Toy Story isn't a DVD release, it's a blockbuster. So let's go back to Disney and say, look, we want to do this as a blockbuster for the same money and the same time, we're going to go the extra mile as the start because we believe this is a blockbuster. And as we all know, it was a blockbuster, then Toy Story, Toy Story 3, which made me cry, <laughs> and then Toy Story 4. You know, it was because those staff members knew they were, they wanted to do something much better than what was even asked for. And I just love that because wouldn't it be amazing if, when I think about my team that I get to work with as creators, creators, if they wanted to go the extra mile, not because I'm telling them to, because they want to. I feel, feel like that sort of drive is inspiring. So, yeah, that book has definitely got a lot of that. Yeah, I remember you saying that, actually. It's very interesting. I just want to kind of go back to the, the morning routine because I think that is so powerful. And um, for those of you that know me, know that I'm not a morning person. And, um, I'm that person at, like, 3 a.m. where I'm, like, dancing with, like, you know. And, and so for me, I think I've really implemented that and, and now I'm... I've, like made myself a morning person and and some of the things I do just even tricks like taking a cold shower and and meditating and but I actually like I do not check my phone before I wake you know the first thing you do you, you, your alarms there and you want to check your phone I make it very I've disciplined myself to not check my phone because 
it's just like the, when you wake up, you're not even consciously awake yet. And it's just, it's crazy if you're like seeing all these emails and then it just becomes, you know, your mind just gets really flooded. And, and so I think the importance of having a morning routine is really, really vital. And I can't express how, how amazing it has been for me. And so my question for you guys is, what, what's your morning routine? And do you have one? And do you think it's kind of helped in your daily life? Yeah, so this book has actually really helped me. I'm not sure whether I will get up at 5 a.m. might be like 6 or 7, but we'll see. Um, but I think that, well, what you mentioned, Carmen, before, I, there were some days where I was getting up, because I wasn't getting up, going out the house to work straight away, I was working from home, that I really felt my energy levels like really, really drop. So doing um, the things that we mentioned before about just getting in the shower straight away to like really wake yourself up so you're not all like, oh, do I have to do this or whatever? And then getting yourself outside as quickly as possible. Um, what we mentioned before about um, just if you are just spending some time just away from technology um, just filling yourself with positivity. So whether that's podcasts, a book, or um, any other resources, or like everyone says about journaling, just starting your day positive. Um, so that's what I try and do as well. So I work out two or three times a week, and I set the workouts for 7am in the morning. So I get up at 6, I jump in the shower, get dressed, and then by the time I'm ready, I have to really leave the house and go straight to that workout. And it sets my mood up so well for the day, it's crazy. And then if I'm not doing that, then I'm quite guilty of going on my phone. But I'll make sure I get up and I'll, I will say this, but I'll write a very like clear plan of the day and things I want to get done and what time is at. So as the day goes on, I can check off what I'm doing and it just keeps me like aware for the day. Um, my routine's sort of been dictated to me by my son. So <laughs> uh, six or seven, that's my, me and him. I'm just looking after him. Then seven to eight, that's me at the gym. Get back, 8.20.30 is me getting ready. 8.30, I'm on my way to the office. I'm in the office by about quarter to nine. From that, all the way till six, normally in the office. Come home, um, bath my son, and then say hello to my wife. Uh, have some dinner, if not, and then I'm, I'm out. And I'm out most nights. And it's uh, and she, she works, um, she's a Europe director for an anti-human trafficking organization. She's got a night tonight um, with similar, t like this, with a load of people who just want to make a difference in the world in the social justice er arena. And um, yeah, so, so we have a daily routine. Um, but as, as soon as we start seeing those early warning signs of something's not right, uh, we just have to drop, just drop stuff. And I think it's so good having a routine, but then it's really important to make sure you can break your routine if something in your life is just going a little bit wrong and you know you just need, hey, I'm not going to do my 7 a.m. gym tomorrow. I just need to actually get some rest or I just need to read a book or whatever. Okay, so final question. If you guys could have... Um, a big billboard, and you had something written on it with your name on it. What would what would you have said on it, and why? I'll just have um, live without fear. Uh, sounds like night or something like that. But yeah, I'll just say just just live without fear. I reckon that'd be your life would be cool if you did that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I'd put on it, but it would be along the lines of like never regretted anything in life because I really really stand by that. So. <laughs> Um, mine would be change things you can't accept. Amazing, love that. Can we just give it up to the top? That was absolutely amazing. And I'm sure all of you will have taken really good tips to implement into your into your daily lives, whatever journey you're going on and whatever you're going through right now. 
Um, so now I want to throw it back to you guys. Um, so does anyone have a question for our speakers today? Don't be shy. <laughs> Do you want to stand up and introduce yourself? Tell us what you do. I'm Rocky. I think for everyone, it's kind of if there were like no limitations to in reality, where would you? What would be like your biggest dream for your individual projects or companies? And then, what are three practical ways that you would make that dream a reality? So, like, if there's no limitations, where would it go? Good question. So, if there was no limitations, I would, so I mentioned before, I'm actually from like Leeds area, so I would be moving my company back up to Leeds because working in fashion, it's all in London, and I think we need to provide some jobs for the Northerners. So, my company would be back up north, we'd have a good, on, um, a large online presence and some bricks and water stores as well, providing um, fashion experience to those that wouldn't um, otherwise have the opportunity to do so but also we have a big charity side to our um, brand and the whole reason I started the brand was to help um, these charities so the more that I can grow the more I can impact these charities as well so um, I just really want to do as much as I can in those areas and then three practical ways um, <laughs> um, I would say oh I actually don't know um, to wholesale my business because although um, there can be struggles with wholesale it is the fastest way to grow so putting in the infrastructure to do that um, researching new um, innovations with regards to fabrics and technology sustainability is such a new thing that, that kind of the innovation isn't there solely at the moment so um, just making sure that I'm on that um, and Investors, approaching investors. <laughs> I don't know, mine's a bit, yeah, I think my number one thing would be to start my own brand of clothing, um, lifestyle, fashion, clothing. I'm not sure yet, but something away from Instagram. Um, and also maybe not to attach my name to it. I'd rather have something that isn't, I don't want to promote it through my Instagram, I want to, or my social channels, I want to, just start it on the side and grow it from nothing and just see if I can do that. Um, and I think, well, I haven't really looked into it, so it's just been a little thought in my head. So obviously number one would be researching it, looking at the market, figuring out really where I want to go. Um, number two would be investors. And number three, I'm not sure what would it be. <laughs> um, I don't know, <clears throat> just doing it, I guess. I reckon I would uh, change the schooling system. I think whatever I think about when I was growing up in school, it was just creativity. There was art, you know, and you had to do pastel drawing or something, <laughs> you know. So I, you know, and as we know, there's so many streams to creativity, and so I'd love to change the schooling system so young people can just step into that at an early age. You know, the next generation rising up, they're called Generation Alpha, so they finished the English alphabet, Generation Alpha. So anyone born from 2010 onwards, and uh, by the the year 2025, they're going to be 2 billion, 2 billion of the population will be Gen Alpha. I just want to tell you about them because I feel like these are the ones, they've grown up, like my son swipes my phone. So like they, they've always had this in their hand. 
but it actually means that that's so that's such an opportunity to create because you can create so much on this device. And so, if I had all the money in the world to answer your question, I'd be investing it into how we can just unleash the creative potential within this generation alpha, who's going to be, you know, just running the world in you know a couple of decades time. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And uh, I guess with another startup story, we definitely cross over with the educational side and realizing that, and that's why we do these events is, is because we don't learn this in school. You know, the schooling system is very flawed and, and something that I actually came across the other day, which is really interesting. So those of you who've heard of WeWork, I'm sure everyone's heard of WeWork. There's a new thing now called WeGrow, where it's implemented, it's almost like implementing entrepreneurship in like kids' schools. And so these kids can actually decide so they don't pick what they pick what sub subject they do but as long and they can choose their own timetable as long as they finish the work in time and they encourage them to go out you know in greenery and eat well and it's just giving that a whole nother you know education a whole nother spin and i think slowly and slowly these will slowly be coming into um into society but yeah it's a good point definitely um question <laughs> i just wanted to ask um in regards to um, there's a lot of work that's obviously done in the international aid in terms of charities, yeah. um, in terms of child expectations. Um, is there any charities you see yourself aligning with, or is there any charities you see yourself working together with that would be like more of a dream of one do your work? Yeah, definitely. So we, we have a few partners at the moment. So one of them is International Justice Mission. So and then the other is Free Set Global. And both of those companies they're all to do with human trafficking, um, so um, like what Dan's wife does, but they are focused on the fashion industry. So what they do is they work in various countries like India and Nepal and places like that, and they find the women that have been victims to human trafficking within the fashion industry. So I don't know, I don't know whether people know, but um, the fashion industry is contributing to the 36 million people living in modern day slavery today. So there's a lot of underground factories, there's a lot of forced labour, and a lot of that comes from fashion. So um, like A21, they rescue their victims, restore them, and teach them the artisan skills so that they can earn a living and provide for their family, but in an ethical way. So they're actually charities, but suppliers as well. So I could or like order from them and um, at the moment they just do accessories so I haven't done that yet but we do like giving weeks and we're gonna plan a few events where we raise money for them as well and um, so I think that that's really good because it's really related to um, what I'm trying to do within fashion as well um, yeah and then obviously there's all the climate change stuff as well um, there's so many things coming out about that um, at the moment where we can help out which I'm looking into um, yeah, how do you find the balance between um, planning and doing? Because I, I think when it comes to business, you need to like plan a lot. Obviously, you have the business plan. And you're, like, off, like I'm personally trying to start my own business, but like I'm a student at the moment, so I find there's a lot of planning. I'm sat there thinking like, why am I sitting here not really doing anything, not designing? I like. I find there's a lot of demonization of like, oh, why aren't you doing? Where's your next project? What's this? Like, yeah. how do you know you're on the right track and not just like freaking out, thinking like, oh, I need to be doing, but I also don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing this. Yeah, yeah. that's completely normal. I go through yeah. that every day. Um, it's just about just setting your boundaries, which I'm not good at, so I don't know why I'm saying it. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like 
which evenings a week are you going to dedicate to your business? Because if you're a student full-time, it can't be during the day. So pick your evenings, don't do every evening. And then if you want to do a Saturday, then have the Sunday off and just be really strict with that. The planning is the longest. And what I said in the beginning of the researching and the networking, that took a long time. And I was in, la in the library on a Saturday and back in my full-time job on Monday. And it's not fun. It's really, really not fun. But we all have to go through it and it's just about persistence because you'll just, and all the planning, you'll use again. So I've just been on an enterprise course somewhere and they've asked me for all of this information about my business and all these reports and everything. And I did that all when I was starting up. So it's already done so that I can then focus on the things that are important now. So they, it's the most important part, but unfortunately it's so dull. Um, but just keep at it. <laughs> Um, I've got an important um, point on that one actually. I think so often obviously creating a business plan is really glamorised and it's really important as a starting point. If you look at your business plan that's very much a living, breathing document and it's not like done to be done and, and you, you just like saving your words or commit, never look at it again. It's very much to revisit. And, and what I would say around that, there's no set formula um, or set ratio to kind of plan or, or be active but I would say the pure act of doing you will learn way faster and way more by doing things like if I look back to when I first started this I the original idea was just to start a podcast um, and now we barely I mean we do a podcast but I very much do events um, and do more face-to-face -face things and the business model has completely changed and that's only through doing and trying things and speaking to people have I really developed that. And I know now it's going to probably develop into something different a year's time and I think the important act of doing and pivoting and reiterating from that is something that a lot of entrepreneurs tend to, um, tend to adopt and not to just... Um, planning is great and it's good to have a strategy and revise the strategy but yeah, doing is, is where you're going to get there quicker I think. So I want to ask a question about kind of next steps when you're an entrepreneur because you know you kind of discussed the fact that an entrepreneur's journey is a curve that continuously goes up and down. Um, there's always kind of steps in that journey where you need to be thinking about leveling up. Um, and I want to just ask you three: at what point and how do you focus energy on taking the next step? And what advice do you have for entrepreneurs who are? kind of reached a certain level and kind of ready to take the next step but not too sure which way to go and maybe spread their energy across loads of different things. Thanks. <laughs> um, I mean, I wouldn't even call myself an entrepreneur. I'm more of an entrepreneur. It's a term for people who have entrepreneurial mindset but just in an organisation. And like we are looking to start the kids' clothing label and a few different bits but my priority is what I do within my organisation. And um, so, yeah, the, the question was... So how do you focus, how do you not yeah, do everything? I reckon it's, um, it's a little bit like a sat-nav, like you literally, you just, it's, it might be 50-50 sometimes, you just, you go with what you think is the best, where your gut goes, and then sometimes it might be just re go back and go this way. So that's been my, my way, like I've, I've tried something, hasn't worked, go back, go again. So just um, experience and then fail and then go again, that, that's mine. I would say go where the money is. So, so many people, um, it's so great going to like investing in all these different things and doing marketing, it's so important. But 
if I know that my project is selling somewhere, then that's where my attention needs to be at the early stages. Um, and that's not my advice. It's from this amazing entrepreneur who like, just sold a business for 42 million or billion, I don't know. Anyway, I listened to her and she was like, if your project is selling in the shop rather than online, then put all your energy into that shop and just, just focus where you can make your money and invest in that area. Okay, I think we've got time for one more question. It's a question for all of you guys. Um, I don't have my own business, but uh, I work for a trade show, and I'm actually asking a question for someone I, one of my clients. So I manage the newcomer section, uh, which is basically all for you know startups, emerging brands, and this girl, she's twenty, and. Her, her products are amazing. She makes cards and she's very witty in her, um, you know, the cards, her, her, her designs are amazing. But because she has invested in this, in the trade show, she would like to pull out because she, at this time, she, at this moment, she has been diagnosed with anxiety and depression, um, which is obviously not okay. Um, I'm trying to help her, but because she signed a contract, T's and C's, I don't want her to lose money, obviously. So I'm trying to help her as much as I can, but I don't have the experience of having a business. You know, what, what, can, what advice can I give this girl for her to be able to face the, the, the retailers that she'll meet at a trade show and, and not suffer from any anxiety and depression? Because I know this is something that you said, Dan, that's quite important to have that state of mind, but why she doesn't have it? Very much. Um, I'll, I'll answer the trade show part rather than the anxiety yeah. and depression part because it's just not my area of expertise. But I would really try and approach the trade shows. Um, I, I do speak to a few people from trade shows, uh, depending on who it is. What what trade show is it? Uh, it's Top Draw. Top Draw. Is it for...? So it's a, it's a homeware... Uh, and give her a bit, like, and like booting to the station she makes um, cards. Okay, because yeah. there's always people behind trade shows and there's no harm in contacting them, explaining the situation and see if there's any way out. Um, I know she probably has already done that, but um, I would really try and give that another go or get on the phone to somebody and see. But if she wants to go ahead, um, then, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. If she can't get out of it, she's definitely got to do it. Um, you know, and you know her, I just see how you can just support her as much as you can, just try and encourage her, try and um, just let her know that's not going to be as bad as what she's assuming in her head, and yeah. sometimes just having that person to support. If she can get out of it, the main thing is that the depression and anxiety doesn't stop her doing from what she loves. And maybe it's not so much about the business, it's just about her being, just still being able to create and not stopping that love for designing those cars that she's doing. So, you know, just help her to, to keep doing what she's doing as much as she can but it's cool that you're there and you're aware of the situation because sometimes people just they're doing that alone so it's cool that you're there to help her Thanks. Amazing. Alright well I think that's we're going to have to wrap it up for this evening can we just give a round of applause to our panellists Dan, Nadia and Mr. Hopefully all of you guys will be able to take home pockets of wisdom um, and be able to implement some of the tips and tools um, that they've shared in your daily lives, no matter where you are at and what stage you're doing and whatever. Um, but yeah, um, please.